morning, church. How are we doing? I'm excited to be here. It's a beautiful Sunday to be here. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, right before Jesus is crucified, when he's meeting with Pilate, um, he's in a conversation with Pilate, and Pilate questions Jesus with the question, what is truth? Um, truth is so important in our day and age. Truth is so important to how we live our lives, to how we go about um, our day, but on the same side, truth is obscured in our lives, whether it be how we view political issues, whether it be how we view the world, people around us, and even sometimes how we view the Bible. Here's some truth. Whenever we hear truth or information, we always filter it through our own presuppositions. And what I mean by that is we've all grown up with certain cultural backgrounds, certain ideas, and certain just things in our minds that shape the way that we live our life. So whenever we hear truth, we always filter it through that first before coming to our own kind of skewed version of that truth in order to fit what we believe more. Um, I have a friend of mine. Um, I'm going to call him Jake. And Jake is an Eastern Orthodox Christian. And if you don't know what that is, there's kind of three sects of Christianity. There's Protestantism, which we are, there's Catholicism, and then there's Eastern Orthodoxy. And my buddy Jake challenged me constantly about how to interpret Scripture, how to approach Scripture, approach certain doctrines in Scriptures, approach certain truths in Scripture. So I did some digging, and I've grown up in the Protestant church my whole life, mainly a Baptist church, and decided that instead of taking my presuppositions, what I've learned before, I, I put them to the side for a little bit and read the Bible for what it was. And I did studying, I did digging, and I can come back saying I've faithfully decided not to convert to Eastern Orthodoxy. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in what I, in what I believe right now. Um, but while doing that, by putting aside my presuppositions, my own background, what I've been raised and told to learn, I came out with so much more fruitful truth, a wider expansion of what truth is. Rather than sitting with the comfortable truth I've always been raised with, I decide to sit with some uncomfortable truths and decide where my truth and faith lie in. In Jesus' own ministry, it's consisted of him telling people uncomfortable truths, um, whether it be the disciples, the Pharisees, the Jews, the Gentiles, any people, Jesus told them uncomfortable truths, sometimes things they didn't want to hear, sometimes things that went completely against their own belief systems and the way that they were raised, their cultural background and ideas. Um, in Matthew 21, which is where we're going to be today, if you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 21, um, the Pharisees slash religious leaders kind of faced Jesus in this intellectual battle. Um, going against him, bringing ideas to him, and overall just trying to understand where he is at with truth. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 21, starting at verse 33. Uh, I'm going to read it out for us here. This is a parable that Jesus is telling to the Pharisees. It says here, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. 
Again, he, the owner, sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. So we see here that Jesus is giving the Pharisees this parable on truth. And the Jewish leaders, they were wealthy people for the most part and kind of understood what it took to plant a vineyard, understood all of the concepts for it, understood um, what went into it, and this is the way it would work. I'm going to lay it out for you guys so we can get a clearer view of this. Um, So a very wealthy man, very rich man, would go out, buy a plot of land, a nice fertile plot of land, and start a vineyard. And what he would do then is he would lease it out to tenant farmers so that those people could take care of the farm, could start to plant things in this vineyard, and then the owner would go on a long journey because it took at least four to five years for the vineyard to actually start producing fruit. So the owner wouldn't come back to this vineyard for four to five years. He'd leave it in the tenant farmer's hands, and he'd say, all right, you guys are responsible for this. I'm leaving this in your guys' hands. While it's still my vineyard, I'm making a deal with you guys that I'm going to get some of the product, and you guys will get some of the product. We'll kind of split it, whatever their contract was. And after four years, the owner would send servants to claim as due fruit. Now, the fruit is actually ripened after four years, which it's a long time. I mean, four years is 2019 before COVID started. So, you know, give you perspective. But this is where the story kind of shifts in this parable from the expectation of what's supposed to happen to the reality of what happens. The owner's servants, they, they show up to the vineyard ready to claim the fruit for their owner. And they come to claim stuff from the vineyard that was due to their contract in the first place. And the tenants, they decide not to pay up. They decide after four years that they've done all the hard work and this is going to be theirs. They don't need to give the vineyard owner his due work. So they beat up the servants. Beat them up, stone them, kill them. And then the owner, once the servants don't return, he sends more servants, more than the first time, and they do it again. They beat him up, kill him. Now, if I was the owner, I'm thinking at this point, I just gotta, I gotta call the police. I gotta, I gotta get these guys done. These guys have murdered people multiple times. They are serial killers of my servants. But instead of that, the owner decides to do something that kind of cautions us. He, he looks at his son, and you're thinking, oh no, don't, don't send him. You've sent your servants, don't send your son. If you've seen already what these tenants have done to your servants, why now would you send your son? So the owner, rather than calling the police and giving these tenants their righteous judgment, he gives them one more chance to fulfill their contract, and he sends his son saying they're gonna respect him. 
He's not just some random person not related to me. This is the heir of the vineyard. Once the owner passes away, the son is the heir. We'll take over. Instead of showing them the respect that the son deserves, they kill him in hopes that somehow the owner's going to just be like, all right, I guess the land's yours. You guys can have it. You've killed everybody I have, so it's just, I'll leave it alone now. It's hard to think, what is the owner doing? Sending people to be killed, including his own son? That's not true. He is trying to receive his due reward. He planted this vineyard in the first place. He set it up. And four years later, is coming to claim what is rightfully his. The interpretation of this parable is plain to see, unlike other parables. While Jesus claims in Matthew 13 that parables are actually meant to hide the kingdom of heaven, actually meant to almost obscure it, this parable for the Pharisees that were there with him, this parable is very plain to see. If we look back a few verses, um, we'll see what kind of prompted this conversation, what prompted this parable. If you go in your Bibles to Matthew 21, starting at verse 23, <clears throat> I'll read it out. It says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one thing, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And he discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Before he tells this, Jesus had just arrived to Jerusalem a few days ago. And he'd kind of made things a little hard. He first enters Jerusalem through a triumphal entry. People are laying out palm trees for him and having him walk on them and, you know, saying, Hosanna. And then right after that, he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple, turns over tables, calls it a den of robbers. He goes out and curses this random fig tree. What did the fig tree do? And the Pharisees are coming to him saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are coming into our town, cleansing our temple, killing our fig trees, and teaching our people. And Jesus answers their question, their question of what authority do you do these things? With his own question. It's, it's very Socratic of Jesus to answer a question with a question. Knowing their true lack of authority on spiritual things, they intellectually try and face off. These Pharisees tried to intellectually face off at Jesus. And Jesus asked them a question he knows they can't answer, asking about John the Baptist, the messenger before Jesus coming to pave the way, saying, why didn't you believe him? Where did the baptism of John come from? And he knows that that is a question that is impossible for them to answer. Because they don't even know what to believe. 
You can t- see when they're discussing among themselves, well, we can say it's from heaven, but then he's going to tell us this. But if we say it's from man, then the crowd's going to be mad. So we're just going to stay neutral. And they come out empty-handed. Come out questioning Jesus about his authority, and they come back empty-handed. Because not even they know where their authority comes from. This helps us kind of interpret the parable of the tenants. Let's go back to it. Let's look over it. So the man who planted the vineyard then would be God in this. This parable is a reference to Isaiah 5, um, where God, where the prophet Isaiah um, references the vineyard as God's people, the house of Israel. That God is the owner of the vineyard over this vineyard of Israel. Then the tenant farmers, the ones who he leases them out to, are these religious leaders um, over Israel's history. Ever since God chose Israel to be his chosen people, these religious leaders are these tenant farmers that are in charge of, of keeping this vineyard intact, growing it, helping it produce fruit. And we also see, this is the tenant farmers, because of how they treated the prophets of God, the servants of the owner who keep coming. Let me tell you guys a little bit about how the people of Israel treated the prophets of God in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was abused by Jewish leaders, and in tradition it says he was stoned to death. Ezekiel was killed by an Israelite for rebuking his sin. Uh, Zechariah, the priest, was chased into the temple by angry Israelites and stoned in there. And then John the Baptist, the greatest of all prophets, known at this time, was imprisoned and beheaded. And take a wild guess at who the son is in this story. God's own son, Jesus Christ. Man who claimed to be the Son of God. So we see then, just as a recap, God plants a vineyard, the house of Israel. The leaders of Israel are called to take care of this vineyard. And after time, God sends his prophets to come and claim due reward, tell these people, This is what you know the owner commands of you, this is the owner's truth, and they reject that. And even reject the only son. Of God. God sends his people to bring truth and claim fruit from the house of Israel. This is the history of the prophets. So what happened? Why didn't this story go as expected? Why didn't the religious leaders give God his due fruit? It's because the religious leaders forgot where their authority In their minds, they were thinking, we don't need to bear fruit or speak God's truth. These are our people. He put us over these people. Now this is our vineyard, our house of Israel. Therefore, what we are going to do with this house, with this people, is in our hands. What was the evidence of this, you might ask? Was their fruits, the way they were living their lives, adding human traditions to temple worship, rejecting the prophets of God, living lavishly and richly off of a temple tax and teaching incorrect doctrine to the people of God that it might further benefit themselves. Jesus references these types of people earlier in his ministry in Matthew 7, 
It says in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. True prophets of God, true people of God, produce true fruit of God. Where do these true fruits come from? Actual truth of God, from relationship with God, from conviction from God, from grace, from submission to God. All of these things are how we actually have truth. We have truth right in front of us. We have truth in relationship with God. We don't have truth from ourselves. We have truth only from God. Well, there's a clear message from the parable of the tenants that Jesus calling them out, saying, you guys have killed God's prophets, now you're going to kill God's son. I believe there's a hidden message in this too. The Pharisees distorted God's truth for personal gain. They, they itched for doctrine that fit their own wants. They switched things up that it might be further comfortable for them. They took the truth of God and filtered it through their own wants, their own backgrounds, their own presuppositions, and distorted it into a comfortable truth that aligned further with what they wanted to hear. Church, we are in a time very similar to this. Itching ears, waiting to hear a doctrine according to their own belief system. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy, turning there. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People are itching for truth that fits their own belief system. Rather than the sound truth of God that has been provided for us, people itch and listen for a truth that fits further with how they want to live their lifestyle. And I would argue we do that too. We argue what God really says in the Bible. What's really sin? Is this really sin? We're like the serpent in Genesis 3. Did God really say this? We twist God's truth in our own lives that we might live a more comfortable life for ourselves. Living in life with sin, acting like it's not sin. Living a life of lies, acting like it's truth. So I ask you this. Where are you twisting truth for the sake of conformity? Where are you making things more comfortable for yourself that these truths might further fit your lifestyle? That the way you live might be more comfortable, might be easier. Jesus states that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father through him. Or one time in my youth ministry, I preached on this very topic. And I preached Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. There's no other way. Is only him. There's only one truth. And this girl in the crowd, as I ended the message, I heard her walking out going, Jesus is the only truth, the only way. That just can't be. How can there only be one truth, one way? I've uh, yet to see that girl come back to youth group ever since that message. But it shows that our hearts itch and yearn for a truth that is contrary to the sound doctrine of Scripture. The end of the parable says this. Starting at verse 42 from Matthew 21. It says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Will you bear fruit according to the will of God? Will you understand truth according to what God says? Because if you have distorted truth for the sake of conformity, I'm telling you there is grace. There is grace from God in that. I can guarantee you I have distorted truth for the sake of my own conformity, so I know you guys have. And in that repentance, in us coming to God saying, God, we have sinned against you, gone against the way, the truth, and the life, there is grace in that. There is forgiveness in that. So I ask you, will you repent and receive grace from the Lord? Or will you continue to keep God's fruits from him? I'm pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the truth. Lord, there's no other truth but you. We don't need to seek. We don't need to wander. God, you have presented yourself clearly to us, Lord, and we can pursue Pray, God, um, for our hearts right now, Lord, as we are battling these ideas of different truths and doctrines in this world, Lord, I pray, God, that you would put on our hearts what is really true, the word of your son, Jesus Christ, the word that is right in front of us. Lord, may we repent of any truths that we have distorted any sin that we continue to live with, God, that we have convinced ourselves is okay, any lies that we continue to live with, Lord, for the sake of conformity. Lord, we bring these to you right now. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We ask for your grace. We ask for your love. Because we love you, God. And we only want you. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.